This is African News Tonight on The Voice of America. Hello, welcome to VOA Africa. Thank you for joining us. I'm Jackson Vungani, and here's what's coming up. Many of our African colleagues especially made clear that as much as they needed emergency relief, what they really needed was more investment in agricultural innovation, sustainability, self-sufficiency. That is U.S. Secretary of State Antony Blinken on the world's growing hunger crisis, especially in Africa. We have all of this and more coming up on African News Tonight. U.S. President Joe Biden today condemned Russian President Vladimir Putin for the invasion of Ukraine and said Russia has shamelessly violated the tenets of the United Nations Charter. Biden spent much of his speech at the United Nations General Assembly criticizing Russia for the war and said it was about extinguishing Ukraine's right to exist as a state. However, he addressed key issues for many UN members, including reforming the UN Security Council. The five permanent members of the Security Council, Britain, China, France, Russia and the US, have the power to veto any planned UN action. The time has come for this institution to become more inclusive so that it can better respond to the needs of today's world. Members of the UN Security Council, including the United States, should consistently uphold and defend the UN Charter and refrain, refrain from the use of the veto, except in rare, extraordinary situations, to ensure that the Council remains credible and effective. That is also why the United States supports increasing the number of both permanent and non-permanent representatives of the Council. This includes permanent seats for those nations we have long supported and permanent seats for countries in Africa, Latin America, and the Caribbean. The United States is committed to this vital work. Biden also announced U.S. plans to increase its food aid by $2.9 billion dollars. He blamed the Russian invasion of Ukraine for contributing to world food shortages and praised an agreement, the UN brokered agreement, that freed up shipments of Ukrainian grain. He called the deal to be extended. Through USAID's Feed the Future initiative, the United States is scaling up innovative ways to get drought and heat-resistant seeds into the hands of farmers who need them. While distributing fertilizer and improving fertilizer efficiency so that farmers can grow more while using less. And we're calling on all countries to refrain from banning food exports or hoarding grain while so many people are suffering. Because in every country in the world, no matter what else divides us, if parents cannot feed their children, nothing, nothing else matters if parents cannot feed their children. The U.S. president also called for continued efforts to bring peace and stability around the world, including ending the war between Ethiopia's national government and the Tigray People's Liberation Front. We support an African Union-led peace process to end the fighting in Ethiopia, restore security for all its people. In Venezuela, where years of political oppression have driven more than six million people from that country, we urge the Venezuelan-led dialogue and return to free and fair elections. We continue to stand with our neighbor in Haiti as it faces political, fueled gang violence and an enormous human crisis. And we call on the world to do the same. We have more to do. 
will continue to back a U.N.-mediated truce in Yemen, which has delivered precious months of peace to people that have suffered years of war. And we will continue to advocate for lasting negotiating peace. Biden also said the U.S. would continue to work to reduce the effects of climate change and to support efforts to address global health issues such as the COVID-19 pandemic. On the second day of the U.N.'s annual general debate, VOA U.N. correspondent Margaret Bashir joins me live to bring us up to date on what world leaders are saying. Uh, Margaret, thank you so much for joining us. Thank you. So President Biden spoke uh, this morning at the U.N. General Assembly. He was uh, supposed to speak yesterday as the U.S. is usually traditionally the second, uh, uh, you know, the second uh, to speak on the first day. Uh, Ukraine and Russia were clearly on his mind and uh, he did not hold back his uh, criticism of Putin. No, he he went straight to it at the start of his speech, and he reacted to today's news out of Moscow, where President Putin said that he's going to call up 300,000 reservists to his military, and he also uh, threatened, you know, made threats about nuclear uh, weapons. So uh, President Biden uh, addressed that right out of the gate, and he said uh, that Putin's overt nuclear threats against Europe are reckless. They're uh, in reckless disregard for the responsibilities under the nuclear nonproliferation regime that Russia is a part of. And he said the Kremlin is organizing sham referenda to annex parts of Ukraine, which is a huge violation of the U.N. Charter, and that the world should see that for the outrageous act that it is, because we know that Moscow is planning uh, in the coming days to do referenda in four occupied areas of Ukraine in order to try and establish some sort of legitimacy there. Um, he said that basically Russia is trying to extinguish Ukraine's right to exist as a state and its right the, and the Ukrainian people's right to exist as a people. And he said the United States has given, I think he said around $25 billion so far in assistance to Ukraine, military, humanitarian, and other assistance. And he was quite clear. He said uh, the United States wants this war to end, but it needs to be on just terms, on terms that everyone signed up for, uh, that you cannot seize a nation's territory by force, and that's basically the U.N. Charter, what the U.N. Charter says. Mm. So he was appealing to all of the members of the audience because they've all signed up to the U.N. Charter to implement it. Right, and, uh, you know, he said that uh, the U.N. Charter was under attack, but just like some have said, the two most important people he was addressing were not in the audience, that is uh, President Vladimir Putin and uh, Xi Jinping of China. Uh, how did he say America sees itself in this and its role in these uh, shifting geopolitical trends? Well, I think the Biden administration has gone back to uh, the American style of leadership about multilateralism, about leading on things like human rights. He spoke quite clearly about human rights in his speech. He also spoke about feeding the world, about the food crisis. As you mentioned, he uh, pledged $2.9 billion for humanitarian uh, assistance on the food security. And he said, if parents cannot feed their children, then nothing else matters. And, and that's, you know, something that we can all relate to. And so I think he was trying to reestablish this feeling of the United States as, you know, uh, like the beacon on the hill. Right. And uh, so one of uh, President Biden's favorite causes of late has been promoting and protecting democracy in the face of threats such as uh, far right uh, populism. What did he say about the threat to democracy both at home and abroad? 
Uh, well, he spoke about uh, uh, democracy versus um, autocracy, and he said that the United States would always uh, seek to uh, promote democracy. Mm. And uh, who are some of the speakers we are looking uh, forward to this uh, today? Well, we have several from Africa coming up. Uh, this morning we heard from the presidents of Nigeria and Rwanda, but in a little while we'll hear from uh, Madagascar, from Kenya's new president, William Ruto, uh, from the head of the council in Libya. Uh, so we have quite a bit from Africa today. So much to look forward to. VOA UN correspondent uh, Margaret Bashir. Thank you so much, Margaret. Good to talk to you. The president of the Democratic Republic of Congo has criticized Rwanda for alleged incursions into his country and for support for the M23 rebel group in its Tan region. President Felix Tshisekedi told the UN General Assembly yesterday that a report by UN experts accuses Rwanda of backing the mostly Tutsi group, which controls parts of North Kivu province. Kigali denies the accusation, though the Congolese president told the assembly that they should, quote, no longer trust the shameless denials of the Rwandan authorities, end quote. According to Bloomberg News, he also told the gathering that, quote, any honest observer in good faith recognizes that his crisis or this crisis is caused mainly by the greed aroused by our fabulous natural resources and the power ambitions of some of our neighbors, Bloomberg said the president also called on wealthy nations to implement their commitments to poorer nations to help fight climate change and defended his efforts to develop oil and gas in the country. Forget the Silk Road, the new frontier in China's quest for influence in Africa involves going beyond the planet Earth as the Asian giant looks to the continent as a key partner in its space ambitions. Kate Bartlett reports from Johannesburg. What do astronauts eat in space? That's what one Ethiopian student wanted to know last week when he and young Africans from eight countries took part in a dialogue with Chinese astronauts in orbit. The event via video link was organized by China's mission to the African Union. Here's the answer to the food question by one of the Chinese astronauts, Sai Shu Jia, broadcast by Chinese state media CGTN. Every ground team has prepared more than 1,000 varieties of food. Look, we have delicious purple rice porridge, tasty sautéed sweet corn, sautéed diced beef in black pepper sauce. We also have rice. The event was a show of soft power on Beijing's part, but also indicates the importance the country is placing on the role Africa can help it play in the global space race, experts said. Timmy Day or Oniosan, a Nigerian space scientist and managing director of the website Space in Africa, told VOA the African space economy in 2021 was valued at $19.49 billion and is forecast to grow by some 16% in the next four years. The space industry in Africa is growing at an incredible rate. Hence, countries and regions like China, Europe, Russia and the U.S., are beginning to compete for a stake in the industry. However, as of this year, only 13 African countries have 48 satellites, six of them built by China. China launched Nigeria's first communications satellite in 2007 and its second four years later. 
It also launched Algeria's first communication satellite in 2017, as well as the first satellites for Ethiopia and Sudan in 2019. In 2018, experts said Tunisia was the site of the first ground-receiving station outside of China for its Beidou satellite navigation system. Space may be more abstract than China's Belt and Road Initiative infrastructure projects throughout Africa, but those projects may be one motivation for China's interest in African nations' space programs, analysts say. This shows that these engagements are not necessarily because China and the rest are engaging to help Africa. They're doing so because they get economic, social and cultural capitals in return. Julie Klinger, who has been studying China-Africa space relations, mentioned in her 2020 research how constructing remote sensing satellite networks in Africa allowed China to support logistical integration of Belt and Road partner states. Klinger, who teaches at the University of Delaware, tells VOA China's space program has become more international since the start of President Xi Jinping's global infrastructure project, the Belt and Road Initiative. As to African countries' reasons for welcoming a partnership with China, Klinger says nations on the continent have different priorities. They don't prioritize military applications or even human spaceflight. What they are interested in is communications technologies and socioeconomic development. Another important aspect uh, in Africa-China space cooperation has to do with climate change, environmental monitoring, and disaster management. Klinger said events like the students' chat with the astronauts help inspire interest in space among African youth and challenge the idea that for Africa, space is a luxury pursuit. Kate Bartlett for VOA News, Johannesburg. The new school year started in Nigeria this month, but more than 600 schools are still closed due to a surge in kidnappings for ransom by armed gangs. That's according to authorities. Nigeria already has one of the world's highest rates of -of out-of-school children, and the UN says the problem has gotten worse. Timothy Obiezu reports from Kaduna in Nigeria. The small town of Sabo, south of Kaduna State, is bustling. But it's not a typical day for many in this area. Some kilometers away from the town center, a group of school children are united by a common enemy, armed conflict. Most of the children arrived at this temporary shelter with their parents last November after their villages were overrun by armed gangs. One resident, Abayo Elia, says it was the last time his six-year-old son attended school. We were farmers before these people came and attacked us, he said. They burned our houses, our farms, sources of livelihoods, and the school that our children attended. Elias' son's school has since been closed, and the classrooms are gathering dust. The school year began in September across Nigeria, but authorities say More than 600 schools across the northern region, including Kaduna State, remain closed because of safety concerns. Elia's wife, Alheri, says they would like to enroll their son into a safer school but cannot afford it. The problem now, she said, is that they don't have the money to even take them out of this place to another school. She said they lost everything. This month, the UN Educational, Scientific and Cultural Organization, better known as UNESCO, reported that more than 20 million Nigerian children are out of school 
up nearly 2 million compared with a similar survey announced by UNICEF in May. But Nigerian authorities dispute the figures, saying the situation has improved and that the government has been spending much more on education. Authorities also say UNESCO's estimates did not capture the number of children attending unconventional schools in northern Nigeria. But Abdusalami Ladigbolu, the head of UNESCO's Read and Earn Federation in Nigeria, says many factors contributing to the problem were considered before publishing the report. It's a complex uh, you know, situation. Insurgency can be part of it. And then secondly, you know, death of their parent or the guardian responsible for the tuition. Another factor again we can also consider is um, early marriage. That was actually peculiar to girls. Last week, dozens of worshippers were kidnapped in Kajuru and their abductors are demanding more than $450,000 as ransom. Nigerian authorities have been intensifying crackdowns on armed gangs and say there has been some success, including a recent airstrike that killed about 200 suspected bandits in the north. But until security is addressed, the threat will remain and people like Elia will have a hard time educating their children. Timothy Obiezu for VOA News, Kajuru, Kaduna State, Nigeria. You're listening to African News Tonight. I'm Jackson Vungani in Washington. The president of the South African Chamber of Commerce in the United States says that there needs to be a push to invest in building the industrialization of sub-Saharan Africa. Speaking on the sidelines of the United Nations General Assembly this week in New York, Neil Diamond also expressed concern about reports that grain from Ukraine is being sent to wealthy European nations and leaving out Africa. Diamond discussed those issues and more in an exclusive interview with VOA's Peter Cloti in New York. I think that is a very big concern. Uh, African food security, like food security across all the world, is very important. We currently have over 350 million Africans starving, in dire need of food. And if there's not an equitable distribution of food across the globe, it adversely affects emerging countries and benefits those more developed countries. They are also in a better position to pay top dollar for grain, which disproportionately affects Africa and adversely affects those hungry people on our continent. Neil, let's look at industrialization, uh, particularly in South Africa. How do you see this happening in spite of the challenges in the country? We have seen a steady decline over the last two decades of investment, direct foreign investment, not just in South Africa, but in Sub-Sahara Africa, which means that there's been a decline in the industrialization of the country with uh, uh, job losses associated. Africa's got the largest population of youth on the, con- on the planet. And in order for us to provide uh, skills and jobs to those young people, we need to ensure the reindustrialization of not just the South African economy, but also the sub-Sahara economy. And that can only be done if there's a renewed focus on investment and capacitation of existing industrial capacity on the continent within those countries. What about infrastructural development? Because 
great improved infrastructural development or adequate infrastructure could help boost the economy, create the enabling uh, environment for job creation for the country's youth. Talk to me about infrastructure development in South Africa because some of, sometimes I've heard officials of the government say they are investing, others are saying not so much and they are not doing so much, especially coming from the opposition saying the government appears not to be doing enough in infrastructure development. Your take? Our government definitely needs to refocus on the investment of water infrastructure, of energy infrastructure, but we're also in a new environment where digital infrastructure is very important. The largest uptake of mobile technology is on the African continent and if we want to ensure that people can get the full benefit of those uh, new technologies, we need to ensure that our digital infrastructure is on the same level as most Western nations. Mm. Talk to me about mining beneficiation because you know South Africa is a big mining country, gold and other minerals. Talk to me about it. Mining beneficiation historically has been done outside of the African continent. Uh, we need to rebuild capacity to beneficiate our mineral resources and those that have been extracted from the land uh, to be done in Africa. Uh, mining beneficiation could be a catalyst for job creation, for skills development, much needed on our continent. That was Neil Diamond with the South African Chamber of Commerce in the US. He was speaking with my colleague Peter Cloti. The U.S. Secretary of State Antony Blinken is co-hosting a food security summit on the sidelines of the United Nations General Assembly. Top U.N. officials have warned that drought, rising commodity prices, the impacts of COVID-19 and Russia's invasion of Ukraine could trigger famine in many countries. VOA's senior diplomatic correspondent Cindy Sen has more. The United Nations says more than 800 million people worldwide are suffering from hunger right now an increase of more than 150 million since the COVID-19 pandemic began. On the sidelines of the UN General Assembly on Tuesday, Secretary of State Antony Blinken said President Joe Biden would announce robust new assistance from the United States. Blinken said another way to support hunger relief was to push for an extension of the deal the UN brokered between Russia and Ukraine, which allows grain to be exported from Black Sea ports. And as you've heard from my colleagues, despite some of the misinformation that continues to come from Moscow, that grain and other food products are getting where they need to go, to the countries most in need, predominantly in the global south. Um, it's also helped lower food prices around the world. Russian President Vladimir Putin has said the deal is not working and he blames Western sanctions on Moscow for food and fertilizer shortages instead of his own invasion of Ukraine. Spanish Prime Minister Pedro Sanchez said Putin is trying to blackmail the world with food. We're running out of time. If farmers don't get fertilizers at the right moment, Poor or even lost harvest will continue to worsen the situation. We must arrive on time. And let me be clear, there is no peace with hunger. And we cannot combat hunger without peace. Ukrainian Infrastructure Minister Alexander Kubrakov told VOA that Ukraine is resuming grain exports to Somalia, Ethiopia, Kenya and other African countries that need it the most for us is just to, to increase volumes of our export. Uh, August, uh, uh, results of August were quite optimistic. We reached almost 5 million, ton, million tons. It's uh, 
very similar uh, volumes which we had before the war. Blinken said the U.S. is also looking to help boost agriculture in Africa in the long term. Many of our African colleagues especially made clear that as much as they needed emergency relief, what they really needed was more investment in agricultural innovation, sustainability, self-sufficiency. I am convinced from the time that I've spent recently in a number of countries in Africa, the capacity is there, but it needs help. Blinken visited South Africa, the Democratic Republic of Congo, and Rwanda last month. Cindy Sane, VOA News. And that wraps up this edition of African News Tonight. I'm Jackson Vungani in Washington. For all the latest developments on the continent 24-7, visit our website at voaafrica.com.